Hi friends, it's Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the path to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. I don't mean to name drop, but I do have a very special guest on today, the fabulous Annie Corzin, star of TikTok, 85 years old and living her best life. She's a dear friend of mine. She likes to pretend I'm her assistant. We talk about that a little bit. And you know what? If I were going to be anyone's assistant, which I'm not, it's probably going to be her. I love her so much. She's full of wisdom, heart, authenticity, fantastic stories. She loves herself a gin and tonic. And uh, I couldn't love her anymore. And I cannot wait for you to hear her episode. Here's Annie. Hi, darling Annie. <laughs> Hi, darling Abby. You can keep your cough drop in. I'm just saying, if you need that really? lubrication, yeah. I, I don't we, want it to, you know. Well, we all want you to be comfortable. We'll see what it feels like when I'm when I'm speaking. Well, Annie is a dear friend and has so many rich stories to share. Let us start. Well, first of all, I know you just came back from a big gig in Portland, Oregon, and I know as my audience will know, that you're a huge accidental influencer. And we'll get more into that later. But tell me, you just told me a funny story about your trip to Portland and about the airplane. Abby, you asked me how the trip was. And I assume you meant how did the show go? But that's not what's important to me. What's important to me was on the plane going up and coming back, the cabin crew came over and asked if they could all take selfies with me. That made the trip. And how do they know you, Annie? I have over 400,000 followers on TikTok. Don't ask me to explain it because I cannot. That's why the book is called Accidental, you know, the book of an accidental influencer. It's just something strange that happened in my life that I'm extremely grateful for. And it happened very recently in terms of your, the span of your career, it happened pretty recently. I just turned 85. And I am busier and more productive and having more fun than I ever have in my life. I'm just saying that. Yes, the TikTok thing started with the pet. We started shooting the day of the lockdown. That's when I started. I think my timing was fortuitous because people were home with nothing else to do except look at some some cranky old lady on TikTok. (laughs) But you're so much more than that. And the best is, this was, I thought, the ultimate compliment to me and to you was when one of my dear friends forwarded me one of your videos, had no idea that we were friends and said, Abby, this is you in 40 years. And it was you. <laughs> <laughs> you said, you don't even I know love how it. true that is. I love it. <laughs> so let's rewind a little. Pre-accidental influencer. I know a little bit about your family story. Can we just hear you are a mother. You did not suffer through infertility. But I know you suffered with deep postpartum depression. Terribly. Terribly. And I would love to hear about that. And I would also love to hear, because we have a lot of people on the show that have what's called secondary infertility, when they have one child and then have a hard time with a second. I have no idea if that's part of your story, but I know that you have one beautiful son. And I'm curious if the postpartum played a role in not having more or if it was more fertility related and just what the experience of having one is like. I'm an only child. So I don't understand about siblings and Mm -hmm. I don't understand how moms take care of two children. One was more than I could handle. Also, I've always been worried about money. And I thought, well, the expense of another child. I never felt lacking that I didn't have a girl. It might have been fun to have a girl, but I never felt I missed out on anything. 
And one day my son said to me, why don't I have a brother or sister? And I said to him, you don't have a brother or sister because we got the child we wanted. Mm. Doesn't that touch your heart? (laughs) Yeah, but we both know it's BS. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, that's very sweet. And you are. my, My husband comes from a very large family. And in a way, it's wonderful. But in a way, I'm also very much aware of the pettiness of the conflicts of that family crap that happens. The jealousies and with everything else I had to deal with in my life, at least I didn't have to deal with that, with sibling stuff. It's not always a happy ending when you have siblings, is it? No, it can be very uh, Shakespearean, shall we say. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your postpartum journey. And I know what I love about this story, not to revel in your postpartum depression, but is that you weren't in the United States. And so that played a role into it. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that would be one of the big takeaways from my experience. I made the mistake. My husband's Danish and he was working in Denmark. So I made the mistake of giving birth in a place where I had no friends that could barely speak the language. Very foolish choice. When you give birth, you should be surrounded by love and people who want to make you comfortable and people who reassure you. I didn't feel any of that. And the birth was too hard have a forceps delivery. And I had been trained, this is in the 60s. And there were certain birthing mantras. It has to be natural, Mm. no drugs, no episiotomy, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to breastfeed. Well, I failed at natural childbirth and I wasn't able to breastfeed. It got me nervous. The baby was crying. I couldn't figure out. Nobody really showed me what to do. So he switched to formula and I decided that I was the worst mother who ever lived. Mm. And it went downhill from there. I was hospitalized for the first four months of my baby's life, almost four months. Were you allowed to see your baby? Denmark and then New York, huh? Did you see, were you able to see your baby during, like, were you inpatient, outpatient? Could you visit the baby? Oh, no, I was in. I was, I was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. I did not see the baby till way after, till months afterwards. So Benny, your husband, your amazing husband, who's a beautiful artist as well, he was solo with, the baby. His mother helped, and his, then his sister came over. When we moved back to New York, his sister came and okay. took care of the baby. Oh my God. I didn't I realize was you didn't that study. was one time that having a sibling. Yes. Was a cool yes, definitely. <laughs> and when you came out of that incarceration, not really, it was a, was it a mental health hospital, right? Yeah. But the thing is, what I realized when I saw him, when I finally saw him, and he smiled at me, and I fell in love. Like, like I thought I should have fallen in love in the beginning, which I didn't. It is a myth. Like you see in the movies that the mother and the child bond immediately. That does not always happen. And what I realized in retrospect, that one of the big problems was the hormonal changes that are caused by the pregnancy. They do all kinds of crap with your mental state. Yeah. So a lot of what I was feeling and my crying and my depression and my anxiety was simply physiological. It didn't occur to anyone to explain that to me. Mm -hmm. So whatever happened, I kept thinking, this is my fault, it's me, it's me. And I'm wiser now. And also all about about the birthing things, about it's got to be natural, you have to breastfeed, and blah, blah, blah. My son grew up to be healthy and smart and perfect. And so what I've learned basically is there's no one right way to do anything. The rules don't always apply. We're all different. Am I guessing that you might agree with that? Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. <laughs> and I will say, you know, we'll get to it, but 
adoption has touched your life as well for your grandson. And I want to hear that story, but I hear your voice all the time through my own infertility journey, which you were very much aware of at the time. You always said, if you want to be a mother, you'll be a mother. If you want to be a mother, you'll be a mother. Really? Always. I mean, I don't remember saying that to you, but it's something I do believe. And I often say to people, if you want a family, you will make a family. There's all kinds of ways to make a family. Yes. And I think when you're in the depths of infertility, like I wasn't even open to hearing that. I was like, you don't know anything. You don't know if it's going to work out. Who's this crazy old lady? (laughs) But now, of course, that I'm on the other side of it. Yeah, there's no one way to skin a cat, right? There's so many ways I could have become a mother and I would have pursued any of them. At the very last minute, I ended up getting what I wanted. But really on this show, we have so many different paths to parenthood. That's the whole point. And so- How many years did it take for you? Six. Six, okay. I have a young friend, took 12. Yeah. It took 12. And then you know how you try everything? Then she went to a Buddhist monk. And he, he said something, and then a month later she got pregnant. Oh, my God. So she's convinced that Buddha got her pregnant. Yeah. If that's what makes her, I mean, fine, if she needs that. as Whatever a, as, whatever works, great. And you won't believe this. The Dalai Lama heard about it, and she took the baby to India to visit the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Get out. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't say too much more about her okay. because she's kind of famous. But uh, <laughs> that's amazing. But, you know, whether it's a Buddhist monk or coming to you or just waiting or fostering a child. I mean, yeah. there are so many ways. Yeah. Tell me what it's like to be the grandmother of your amazing grandson, Max. Well, I didn't want him. I didn't want to be a grandmother, particularly. And I thought my kids were too old. When they adopted, my son and his wife were... I think they were 45 and they had a good life and they were making money and they could travel and they could do what they wanted. And I thought they don't know what they're getting into. They're going to be giving up so much freedom and so much fun. And plus they're old and it's not, it's, it, it doesn't get easier to wake up in the middle of the night when you're middle-aged. Plus the baby is black. I didn't want a black grandchild because I thought, I know my kids, they're going to bring him up Jewish. So he's going to be Jewish. He's going to be black. This will be a double whammy. The kid doesn't have a chance, right? And of course, what happened is I fell profoundly in love with him. He is the greatest child who ever lived. And he actually is smart and talented and sweet. He's everything a grandmother wants in a grandchild. And he's a source of, I don't know what to say. He's surrounded by love. But he also creates love. I, I, does that does that sound too icky? No, it sounds awesome. I mean, he brings so much joy to your life. I and he's funny. I like kids that are funny. I've never been a big baby lover. I like kids more as they get older and they have a sense of humor and mm-hmm. a sense of irony. You know, he'll yeah. say things. I'll say, you know, can you tell me how to do this on the on the computers? That. Uh, Granny Annie, I am not your personal tech Wikipedia. You know, I love stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> He's only nine, your, right? He's only nine. Nine and a half, but genius. He's yes. genius. I love He's, it. Needless to say. Yes. And he is. A, he does have the double whammy of being a Jewish black boy. He's studying for his bar mitzvah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy. And lives in a small town in the country where there are not a lot, a lot of black kids around. So I have all kinds of concerns. But, you know. Whatever your kid is, whatever your family situation is, you're always going to have concerns. Yeah. There's always something. 
His nose is right. His hair is right. Is he as smart as the other kids? There's always going to be these tone deaf. I'm, I, I come from a very musical family and my child cannot carry a tune. You know, there's always, there, they, you're not going to get perfection, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it becomes perfect to you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, he becomes perfect to you. Like to you, he's perfect, even when he's not, right? Right. right. So does he understand your TikTok fame? Yeah, he's, well, you know, Kids that age are totally into screens. If, if you ask him what he wants for any occasion, all he wants is an iPhone, which he's not going to get yeah. at nine and a half. So anything to do with screens, anything to do with social. He was on TikTok before. I, I never heard of TikTok before him. He's the one who showed it to me. So let's get Let's talk about TikTok for a minute. So you literally are an accidental influencer over four. And, and I will just say, Annie and I went out to lunch recently and she's like, you don't understand these crazy people out of nowhere start asking me if they can take their picture with me. And literally four seconds later, this other table was like, I heard your voice and I wanted to know if that was Annie, the TikTok star. And it is. Can I please take your picture with you? It was like, it was almost like you planted them there to say that at that exact moment. You left out what it was that made them turn around. You were talking about dyeing your vagina hair saying, purple. You were saying something about, I'm thinking of getting this, you know. I it was know, not me. Stuff. It was the other person we oh, were with. Lisa, okay. That. Yes. And I said, you know, don't, don't mutilate your ears. If you want to do something to your body, make it private. Dye your, dye your pussy purple. And that was, and I scared, and of course, I I screamed it out of the time. And that's when the people at the next table turned around and then they went, oh my God, look who it is. Yeah. Yes. They were like, as if that weren't enough, you're also the TikTok star, Annie, which was amazing. And by the way, for the record, Lisa, our other dear friend, will not be doing any of the aforementioned practices. So... (laughs) How do you know? You're right. I don't know. She better tell us if she does. How did you end up as a TikTok star. I know the fortuitous timing, but talk to me logistically. You had a friend that wanted to produce these little videos for you. It's just one thing I've learned. As you grow older, you have got to have younger friends. That's why I tolerate you. I'm so lucky. You tolerate because me also because you pretend I'm your assistant when we're in public. That's but whatever. True. I want you. I would love to be you to work <laughs> for me full time without my having to pay you. That's my fantasy. <laughs> but uh I've learned the value of having younger friends. And I had a much younger friend. She was 30 at the time. I was complaining to her that I do something called storytelling, spoken word essays, where I dra- I'm an actress and a writer. And one of the things I do is appear at these storytelling events in L.A. where you're lucky if you get 40 people in the audience. And I said to her, I think I have something to say. I think I have something to share. And I'm thinking, maybe I should put some little clips up on Instagram. I say this having never used Instagram, having no understanding of what it is. And she goes, oh, Instagram, because she's 30. It's so toxic. It's so over. It's so last century. You have to go on TikTok. You would go viral. And I said, you're crazy. I mean, I know enough about TikTok to know that it's beautiful young girls putting on makeup, shaking their booties, doing something. Why would anyone see me? She said, trust me. And one of the themes of my book, I think it may relate to what your infertility issues that you discuss here is that anything that anybody suggests to me, I try and go, yeah, why not? Now, within reason, I'm not going bungee jumping, you know, but she said, do TikTok. I'll I'll produce it. I'll film them and post them. And I thought, well, what can it hurt? And that's how it began. I had no faith in it whatsoever. I just thought someone is interested enough in me to urge me to do something. Why should I say no? 
Yeah. I think we say no too many times to too mm -hmm. many things. I love that. I do believe, I don't regret things I've said no to. I mean, I don't regret things I've said yes, yes to, to, for the most part. I do regret things I've said no to. Mm. So you say yes, she starts putting them out, and it was literally almost an overnight sensation. Yeah, I says, and I, I still don't quite understand it. We've discussed it. Well, also, what I don't understand is my audience. I've always felt in my life as a writer, as a humorist, I'm not a stand-up, I'm a humorist, I'm a storyteller. I always forget, I always knew who my target audience was. My target audience was, for the most part, women and myself, older, urban, educated, mostly Jewish. That was my audience. On TikTok, I discovered this whole new world. Young kids, black kids, gay kids, but kids. When I get stopped in the street, they're usually people in their 20s out of college, between 20 and 30. And that does amaze me. And when I ask people why, they say, because you're so honest, because you're so authentic. I don't know what that word means. You're honest. You're everybody's. I mean, most people, I think, are honest Authenticity and Authenticity is hard for people, I think, especially in the social media age. People are trying really? to portray them. Yeah, like if you were to have gone on TikTok and pretend you're a young girl putting on the makeup and shaking your booty, I think you're so far from that. And of course, you're gorgeous and shake your booty all the time. But a lot of people try to be that and you didn't try to be anything other than what you are. And that is what people love about you always. And that's why your storytelling is so successful too, because you're telling these stories openly about personal experience. Well, I'm going to venture a guess that whatever success you're having in what you're doing right now comes from the same thing. Yes, I would agree. That you open, you open your pain to the, you, you can share your pain. You can share yes. your vulnerability. Yes. And I know but a lot it's of not so can. easy for everyone. You and I have an easier time with it. And that's also why we're good friends because we can say whatever we want to each other, but not everybody has that at their disposal, I think. So I understand why it's refreshing for them to see that on TikTok, you know? I will also say that Mackenzie, my young producer, she did edit certain things because I said certain things I thought were okay. And she said, you can't say that mm. on social media. And that was kind of shocking to me, some of the things that she had to edit out. So because you do were, have to be aware. Were because they were too old or too uh, risque or too polit politically incorrect? Well, I can tell Can I tell you the story? Yeah, please. I told a story, which I think is very beautiful. Many, many years ago, I was on a plane. And there was a young man sitting next to me, a student from MIT, and he was Arab. He was going home to like Saudi Arabia for Christmas break or something. We chatted a little and the meals came and he had ordered a kosher meal. So, of course, me, be me. I said, excuse me, I can't help noticing. I know you're not Jewish. Why are you eating kosher food? And he said, well, in Boston, all the Muslim students shop at kosher butchers because, he said, and I always get a little... I always get a little filled up when I repeat yeah. what he said. He said, we can only eat meat that has been blessed by a holy man. And I thought, whoa, what would happen if we just celebrated our samenesses mm. instead of focusing on our differences? So I finished that. I think it's a beautiful story. We finished it. And Mackenzie goes, no way you can post that. I say, why? It's such a lovely story. She says, as soon as you say kosher, you're going to get the crazy Jew haters. As soon as you say Muslim, you're going to get the crazy Arab haters. You're going to open a can of words that you do not want to open. Mm. And we never posted it. Isn't that sad? That is. But luckily, all 
you know, 27 of the listeners of this show, I'm just kidding, it's more than that, will hear that story. And I'm so glad that they will. I'm surprised. Isn't that a story worth sharing? Yes, that's a beautiful story, especially right now. Crazy. So that's an example of the sort of thing where you just have to be careful. I never, you know. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And she's smart. I mean, whatever she's doing is working. So if it ain't broke, I guess don't fix it. And so now what's funny about you, Annie, is that every minute we like, we'll be at lunch and you'll say something. You're like, oh God, I got to say that over again. But somebody has to record me, right? Everything is like a TikTok available moment. Does it drive your husband crazy? No, he's actually into it. Which, by the way, I know your show is about fertility, but I think marriage might also be a sub-subject here that gets that gets dealt with. Let's not do that it. You, not, all, not that all of your clients are married with husbands, but I'm sure a great many of them are. Maybe the majority are. And I want to say something about that, about marriage. I think we talked about the thing about what, in my case, is a successful marriage, although it's fraught with conflict and fraught with fighting and bickering in her is that my husband cares about my career as much as or even more than I do. And I'm very grateful. I think I'm one of the lucky ones. And so the TikTok stuff he's told and now Mackenzie has is not available anymore. Benny's the one who shoots them largely. Amazing. So we do it together and he looks at the numbers and he, he, I mean, he's totally into it. And you're right. My life, which I kind of enjoy that I am able to record every meaningful moment of my life and some trivial, they're not all profound, some little trivial ones. Mm -hmm. And I like that because it gives me a sense of purpose as I walk around Wow. Uh, because I do think you, when you get up in the morning, you have to have a sense of purpose. Don't you agree with that? I do. I, I know do. you do. You've been a workaholic since I've known you. Well, that's, that's I can't help. I love my work. Just like you. I love my work. I love, I love the purpose and I love being able to make an impact just like you for all different reasons. And you feel that you're, when you go to bed at night, you can think, you can say a little kind of more pointedly than I, you can say, that in your work, you're helping make the world a better place. I like to believe that at my my stuff too, that I'm bringing people together, that I'm making people see. Because another thing I do is I'm very deliberate about when I go out in the world and talk to people, I like talking to gay people. I like talking to black people. I like talking to Latinos. And I never preach about it. I just want people to see that you can enjoy diversity, that it's mm-hmm. not a scary thing. I love that. So right? tell me about, is that part of the purpose of your book? Let's talk about your book. Because I acquired this large audience, I was able to get a book deal. And um, basically what I'm doing in the book is expanding the stuff I talk about. What I talk about basically on TikTok is what I've always told stories about, about dating and marriage and motherhood and lifestyle and thrifting and travel and just how I see how you can live a good life, hopefully without spending too much money, because I've never had too much money. So it's basically my views on life in little essays, in random observations. Uh, So it's an expansion of some of the small two-minute things that I put on TikTok. And also it's stories, since I've been a storyteller for many years, stories from my past. So I would say it's a humor. I don't know if it's a how-to book. The funny thing is, for some strange reason, when I look at the Amazon rankings, when the book first came out, it was number two in a category I didn't even know existed called religious humor. 
That's I'm, smart I'm of your publisher. Religious. No, but that's smart of your religious. publisher. Yeah, they, your publisher number puts one it in was, that. What? Who, who's that great? Oh, that great British writer. C.S. Lewis was number one. Annie Coyle was number two. two. It's amazing. And I don't think of myself as as specializing in religious humor, but I guess right. that's how Amazon sees me. Well, it's smart. Your producers, I mean, your publishers had to put the categories in and it was smart that they did that because they know that you would rise to the top as you did. Do you think did. the publishers put in the category? Oh, yeah, you mean they when they listed? When they listed. Because I'm also listed in how to, in, in psychology and, and parenting and family psychology. I don't Yeah, know. they try to put as many as they can, which is great. That's, it's good for you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> But it worked. That's exactly what they wanted to do. Tell us the title of your other and, book too, because I love your other well, book. Well, the thing is, as I said, one of the themes of the book is to say, yeah, why not? Uh, that's how I got in Seinfeld, actually. That's another story. I want that and story. One, and another theme of the book, as I also talked about, is not to follow the rules. Like I was so intimidated by the childbirthing and the nursing rules that I, it gave me a nervous breakdown. There's more than one way to do things. But then another thing is, I'm sure I've said this to you, but you're very good at pretending you're hearing something for the first time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm surprised. All my life, I have apologized for being too talkative, for being too opinionated, for being too free to share my opinions. I've always been criticized for that. It's not womanly. Was what I was told. It's an unattractive quality, particularly in a woman. And men don't like women who talk too much and who are too opinionated, etc. I've always apologized that. Now I am being celebrated for those same qualities. My fans write in, the TikTok fans, oh, I could hear you talk forever. Oh, you're my queen. Oh, you're my icon. Oh, I want to be you when I grow up, blah, blah, blah. And so what I want to say to people is don't be imprisoned by other people's stupid opinions of you. Now, I'm not saying you have to practice loving everything about yourself. You do have to work on yourself and maybe improve certain things, but you can't let other people's opinions of you trap you into some kind of apologetic, safe head hatred, yeah. stupidity. The way that I like to say it, and we talk about this in my home a lot, especially with kids, I try, to, I try to get it in their heads early. Other people's opinions of you are none of your business. Just none of your business. Doesn't matter. Other people's opinions of you are none of your business. And this also comes into play because my husband, who, as you know, is also a filmmaker and is constantly being subjected to other people's opinions of his work, much like your uh -huh. husband. I will just always say other people's opinions of you are none of your business. You just have to be you and do your best work and put your best foot forward. And that's all you can control. You know, Well, I agree with that. But now there's another side of this. I'm sure some people are asking, oh, is there a chat, a chat thing here? Do people respond? Oh, no, we're not. No, because it's not live. Yeah. So stupid. But now, OK, so but what would you do then? What do you tell a kid who comes home or let's say the teacher calls you in and says, little Johnny. It's always little Johnny and horrible. Um is bullying the other kids. He's not being nice to the other kids. He's pushing, he has to learn, he has to learn more better social skills. So then what do you say to Johnny at that point when there really is something that he has to improve? Well, look, my kids are five. If I had all the parenting tips, I'd give them to everyone I don't know. But one thing that we do very widely accept in this home and and 
propagate to each other is the golden rule. So my kids know the golden rule. If the minute they start, if one of them starts being an asshole to the other, we in, we say, ah, uh-uh, golden rule. If you were, you know, to my daughter, we'll say, if, if Malachi, my son, were doing this to you, how would you feel? Would you want to play with that Excellent. toy? No, that, that would feel really bad. So then why would you do it to him? And I so love that. That's I can't brilliant. say, yeah, I mean, it doesn't conquer all, but it stops in the moment of. And so I think that from an early age would stop bullying going forward because you immediately put in the golden rule and then you would think, well, I would never want to be the subject of the bullying. So I'm also not going to bully. I think that's brilliant. I think that's great. It's yeah. simple and it's true. It's funny how some things that have been around a long time still still work, still makes sense, right? That one is pretty universal, you know? It goes for it anything. It is. Yeah. It truly is. So really quick, I want to hear, because I love the story, about your Seinfeld story. Doris Klompis on Seinfeld. Well, I was an unknown actress. I still am, in a lot of ways, an unknown actress to the public, but I'm more known in the business. I've reached mm-hmm. the point where I am we known. Where sometimes you. even it happens that producers will call my agent and ask if I'm available. That's the height of the of the mostly unemployed actress. When you yes. get a direct a direct offer, that's that's when you feel that you've had some measure of success. But I, I was nothing. I was a bit player and hardly worked. And one day my agent called with an audition that a better known actress that he represented, and I knew who she was, and she was much better known. She turned it down because it was an unknown show. It was just a few lines. She didn't feel there was enough there for her to do. Whereas I did like, yeah, why not? I'll do anything. So I took the job. <clears throat> and um, and when we watched it, Benny said, I don't get it. I don't understand this show. It's not about anything. <laughs> now he watches at least three episodes every night. But I didn't know that that little job turned into a recurring role. And then they gave me a second role. So it all, I think I did four or five episodes on Seinfeld. I'm still getting checks. Yeah. And being a recurring character on that show opened all kinds of doors for me. It's a magic thing in the business. If you say you were recurring on Seinfeld, we go, oh, you know. And so it was just a question of saying yes. Yeah, what would not? I gain by saying no? Yeah. Well, no, I should say, they say in the business that you should, a lot of people, actresses I know live according to this rule, you should never accept a role as a bit player because if you do, you're going to be stuck in that category for the rest of your career. And I am basically still a bit player, but, I, but you know. You're you, you're known as higher, you. A slightly higher level. Yeah, than, than a higher level. Yeah. But I thought, I can't afford to turn it down. A day's work is a day's work. And at this point, I think you've made like six figures from those couple episodes that you shot one year, maybe two, and you're still- I have. I have yeah. made over, I've, I have. I've yeah. made in the six figures. It's amazing. From a couple of lines. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, why not? Right? Always. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so in closing, besides, yeah, why not? So if I asked you, Abby, look, I'm yeah. down on cash. If I said to you, could you write me a check for like $5,000? Would you say, yeah, why not? Would you do? Oh, is that what we're getting at? Well, I would say, well, why don't we see how that feels for you? Golden rule, Annie. Could you write me a check for $10,000 and see what Uh-oh. you say? <laughs> I didn't think of that. I want to say one last word before we leave. Anything. Yeah. 
about parenting, about being a mother, about being a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, blah, blah, blah. I think it's really important for mothers or future mothers to know that whatever choice you make, your kids will find a way to resent you for it. And then eventually they will find a way to forgive you for it. And so you have to make the choice that's most comfortable for you. Because again, the rules just don't forget the rules. Yeah. So I think mothers should know about that. I love it. And I think you do live by that every day. You know, I think that you as a mother, but also as a human, as a woman, as an actress, again, it goes back to everyone else's opinion of you is none of your business. Exactly. I know women who are ashamed to admit that they're stay-at-home moms. Why should they be ashamed? It's the hardest job there is. No way. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, so I just, I wanted to end. I just wanted to say that to all the future mothers or present new mothers out there. I'm so glad that you did say that. Because I think it's relevant even when you're pushing to be a mother, when you're on the infertility road, you're not sure you're making the right decision either. So you can only make the best decision you can with the information you have at the moment and do what's best for you. It's all you can do. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I love you, Abby. I love you, Miss Annie. And I'm going to, we're going to link out to your book and your TikTok. And I hope everybody continues to find you and follow you and love you because you're a treasure. By the way, I should give a shout out to our theater company. Annie and I are in the same theater company here in Los Angeles, The Braid. And we've been part of the company for many years. Both of us are artists in residence there. We are actors there and writers there. And without The Braid, I wouldn't know Annie. Annie has traveled with me for shows. We've been roommates on the road. And the most unlikely friendships are often my favorite. Isn't she amazing? Go out and get her book. I promise you won't be sorry. As we mentioned... It's called The Book of Annie, Humor, Heart, and Chutzpah from an Accidental Influencer. And of course, if you want to laugh and see all of her reality TV play out, head to TikTok and follow A. Corzin, A-K-O-R-Z-E-N, Annie Corzin on TikTok. I promise you won't be sorry. Please share this episode with someone you love. Maybe your mother, maybe your Jewish mother, maybe your Jewish grandmother, maybe a Jewish grandmother who you love. Uh, Definitely somebody who went through postpartum. I like them to see the happy ending on the other side. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow us at The Fertility Chick, at Abby Feeder, at Encircle Fertility. And remember, you don't have to go through any of this stuff alone. If I can be of service to you, grab a 15-minute call. Let's see if we're a fit. Go to EncircleFertility.com to grab an appointment. Sending you love and see you next week.